podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I'm Tom Holmes and joining me is, as ever, Leanne Prescott. Leanne, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? Yep, all good down this end. And joining myself and Leanne this week is Ash Hebbs. Ash, how are you, my friend? I'm very well, thank you, guys. Glad to be back. Just looking forward to the proper football to start next week. Yeah, international bit of a, bit of a painful, painful week yeah. without Liverpool, but um, almost there, almost there. I honestly don't know what I'm going to do for my entire weekend. Um, so yeah, thank you for coming on, Ash. We're going to start with an article by, uh, by Andy Wales, and that's going to be on Dejan Lovren. And Lovren has been a somewhat, well, he's been a, he's been a, bit, of a bit of a mixed figure throughout his entire Liverpool career. And Andy's basically had enough, had enough of Lovren. I'm sure he's, uh, he's not the only one. Uh, but after the Man United game and when Lovren made two errors that ended up costing Liverpool goals, for Andy and for a lot of people, I think it was very much, you know, the last straw. Um, and he just got, goes on about how, um, you know, his uh, his aerial abilities, his ability to materialise danger and to read the game is just really, really poor. He makes lots of bad decisions in those sorts of situations. And he reckons that that is the performance that his, the, the straw that's broken the camel's back. That is the end for Lovren, really. Um, I mean, there were a lot of people who thought the Spurs game would be the final straw. But surely this is, you know, the final straw on top of, you know, next final straw. We've seen Klopp bin off a lot of centre-backs who who simply weren't good enough. We've seen Klopp make a lot of cutthroat decisions when he's had to. And it's certainly time, in Andy's view and in a lot of people's views, for it to be the end for for Lovren. So, um, Ash, I'll start with you on this one. Do you agree with Andy that it's kind of time for Lovren to go or and do you think Liverpool needs to sort of make a decision and sort of you know find someone who is going to be streets above him or do you think that Lovren's still got something to offer the club and do you think that Lovren's still got a case for being one of the best centre-backs we've got available and should be kept on not just in a in a role beyond the summer but should be given the opportunity to start more big games uh, in both in the end of the season and then moving into next season. Yeah Lovren, Lovren is, is pretty clear in terms of what his level is now Tom. I mean you know, he's a, he's a decent centre-back. In Premier League terms, he's a decent centre-back. He could play for, you know, a fair few number of clubs, you know, and do a reasonable job there. Uh, but I think when it comes to Liverpool, you know, there's a, an aspiration, a certain standard which uh, Klopp is working towards. And I think Lovren doesn't really, you know, fit the club anymore. I think what, what he did under Brendan Rodgers, you know, he OK, he, he got off to a really bad start under Rodgers. Um and it's only really under Klopp that he's developed into a, you know, semi-decent player. But, um, I think he was there to fulfill a purpose. But as this team evolves, I think it's, you know, it's become clearly obvious to everybody that he's not at the level that we require to, to win major titles. So I think, um, it's a difficult one for Klopp because he's got to manage the squad. I mean, we don't have a huge amount of depth at centre back, you know, um, if you consider Matip's injury record as well. Matip's been in and out the side and gets, he's quite brittle, gets injured quite easily. So I think it's very difficult for Klopp. Klopp has to manage Lovren, um, as, as he does with any member of his squad, but Lovren in particular, because he can't just write him off because as soon as Matip gets injured, you know, you know, you need a reasonable replacement for him. And even Matip isn't, I would say the greatest level or the level we, we, we need perhaps going forward. Um, so I think we haven't seen the, the end of Lovren. I think we should. You know, this summer should see the end of Lovren, I think, once and for all. I think once the rot sets in for a certain player, um, it's just it's just a long way back for them. Um, and I think he's almost at that point of no return now. Yeah, you could argue that he's maybe worth keeping on as a squad member, but um, I think you just you just want quality and you want people that uh, the the other teammates can trust. And I'm not sure the you know his teammates really trust him. I think he's a great guy. You know, don't get me wrong, um, a lot of character. You know, he's done really well, had a lot of character assassinations and always comes back, you know, so he always, he, he clearly wants to, you know, um, do his best and improve and 
take on board, you know, Klopp's ideas. But I think there comes a point where you have to say, okay, you know, we've seen his level now, just like with Mignolet. Um, it's not good enough longer term. And I think it would just suit everybody uh, in the summer if uh, we part ways amicably and just say, you know, thanks for your efforts. But, um, you know, we're now raising the level of the squad uh, to take us to that next next step in challenging for the league and, uh, you know, t- trophies generally. So, yeah, I think um haven't seen the end of him this season, I don't think, just purely because Matip will probably get injured again. Um, but there isn't long to go. I'd stick with Matip and then, as I say, get rid of Lovren in the summer. Um, I'll go to you in a second. I, I think this, this thing about Matip's injury record, I think it's really overstated. And I think it's overstated because um, a lot of people sort of lump him in with Lovren. To an extent, people think because Matip and Lovren don't tend to play that many minutes together, a lot of people seem to get this idea in their heads that Matip's quite injury prone. I, I don't think he's that injury prone at all. Um, he's missed a few few games this season but a lot of those games that he's missed this season have been because Klopp's chosen Lovren over him particularly in the in the league which is kind of frustrating and he um he's missed a few games I say he's missed a few games in the league, but he started 27 started 27 league games last season so that's not horrendous and that was bearing in mind that a few of those games were because of the the issue with the issues with um with the national in with the national team over the over the Christmas period. So he has missed a few games this season, but I don't think there's been many situations this season in particular where we've been forced not to play him. I So I, I do think Matip's injury record is, is a bit overstated. Um, but we're going to go back to, to Lovren, Leanne. And um, with the United game, do you think the United game was one of those performances where he was absolutely abominable? Or do you think it's just a game where he ultimately he made a couple of big mistakes and it's more the fact that this Man United game is so similar to what we've seen before it that he's just clearly not progressing? Or do you think the United game is is more of a, a case of him being outright terrible and costing us the points? Um, in all honesty, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, it, first and foremost, we've seen this time and time again from Dejan Lovren, where he's, especially for this first goal, he comes out and he's sort of caught in between two minds, whether he goes and challenges Lukaku for that header or whether he backs off and he waits till the ball's on the floor. And it's just that indecision that really, really costs us against Manu, but also costs us against Spurs, as Andy refers to in the article. So this isn't something we've just seen once or twice. It's, it's happening regularly. And, um, you know, it, Lukaku was far away from the goal. He wasn't really going to trouble anyone from there. But Lovren coming out creates the space, exposes Trent and allows Rashford in, inevitably to get in behind. And, and from then on, it's, it's going to be a goal. So... I think it's just more the frustration at the fact that Dejan Lovren has these moments where he's just, you know, his brain escapes him and he just doesn't think and he just acts rationally, uh, irrationally, and it costs us big time um, in a, another big, big game for Liverpool. So I think it's a little bit of both. Just to bring in Matic, I think um, I can understand why Klopp potentially is, is calling upon Lovren because I don't actually think Matic has been very good this season. Um, I think he's quite inconsistent as well. And there have been a couple of times where he's been very, very sloppy on the ball. Um, so maybe that's why Lovren was getting a shoe in. But I have to agree, at, at this stage, we're constantly having the same argument about Dejan. And it, it's got to stop. Um, and to be honest, Klopp has to take some flack. Because, yes, Matip's been poor, but he has got Clavin. He's got other options. Dare I say, I know, Tom, you really don't like this idea, but dare I say it, Joe Gomez being one of those options at centre-back. And if you're seeing Dejan Lovren complete the same mistake time and time again, at some point, it's really, it's not down to him, it's down to the manager to take him out of the firing line. But, but yeah, I'd agree. I think it's um, it's a big shame to happen in a, a big game like that. Uh, but it's not the first time and, and something has to be done now. A foot has to be taken to just put Liverpool out of a position where Dejan Lovren can make these mistakes. I think you're really harsh on Matip, Leanne. I'll be honest. I think you are a bit harsh on Matip. I don't think he's been that bad this I'll season. I'll admit, yeah, I'll admit that, oh, you know, I, I um, maybe a little bit, uh, maybe being a little bit harsh on him, but I, I just don't think he came in and he had this uh, big reputation as being the man, sort of like um, less so, but a little bit like Van Dijk when he came in. And it was going to be, we had this um, towering centre-back pairing and they were going to solve everything. And he came in and he did really well at first, but it sort of, was he actually just the best of a bad bunch or is he actually a good defender? So there, there are times where he's really, really good and other times where he just looks a little bit wayward. Um, he's not Dejan Lovren levels yet. 
Um, but I think it's just there's that's still a problematic position. All I'm saying is Matip's not really the answer. But Dejan Lovren definitely isn't. So, Ash, how do you see the centre back situation shaping up next season? Do you think we'll have? Do you think we'll sign someone in the summer? Do you think if we do, Lovren should be sold, or do you think we should keep Lovren as a fourth choice centre back or even a third choice? Yeah, I hope Bike does buy a centre back, Tom. I mean, um, I'm with Leanne to be honest. Leanne and I actually, uh, you know, in earlier podcasts, we were, I think, earlier in the season, we were saying that actually Matip can't be written off yet. And Matip showed a lot of promise previously. Um, but I think over time, actually, Matip's become, he just, he just looks to me, both he's a bit brittle, a bit lightweight. Um, now obviously it's all about complementing your centre back. So, you know, you have one, say Matip, for example, he can be the ball player, doesn't necessarily need to be the most physical because Van Dyke takes care of that side of things. But I think some of the, some of the goals even Matip conceded this season. I mean, especially in the West Brom game, I was really disappointed with him just to, he scored that own goal and just generally lacked that authority. Um, I think if you know, you know, if you're looking for a kind of dominant centre back partnership, what, what would have been ideal for me would have been, say, Sacco and Van Dyke. You know, that would be a real blend of all the skills that you need in a in a centre back pairing. You know, they can complement each other very well, um, and they just they they just they would have been you know physically so imposing, you know, dominant. I think together. Uh, so shame that didn't materialise. Um, I mean, Matip. Do we give up on him? I don't think so. I think what Klopp should do now is just stick with Matip going forward. I think Lovren, we're not going to learn anything new about Lovren, you know, this season. We've seen his flaws. We've seen his strengths. And I think the problem is with Lovren, you know, his flaws outweigh any strengths that he brings to the table because he's always going to let you down. He's just a ticking time bomb. As we've seen, you know, we saw it against Spurs. Um, he came back, you know, credit to him. He came back after Spurs put in some good performances, but he always reverts to type and you just don't know when he's going to revert to type. So for me, ticking time bomb, you just can't trust the guy. Um, he's an accident waiting to happen. So I think for everybody concerned, it's just better to have a clean break in the summer. I think um, bringing a, you know, someone to rival Matip, you know, either to replace him or challenge him for his spot. You know, I don't think Gomez is the answer. I just think Gomez is too small at centre back and you will just get dominated aerially. And, uh, you know, really, I don't think that he's he's particularly that strong. And I think the biggest challenge for us, and, you know, we've we've remedied that a bit with uh, the signing of Van Dyke, you know, with his dominance in the air. But um, I think, you, you know, you want some good athletes at the back there. And uh, Gomez is a good athlete, but I don't think he's he's that dominant partner alongside Van Dyke. And Van Dyke can't do everything himself. So, yeah, I think going forward, I'd like to see, you know, an upgrade on what we have already. Easier said than done. But um, I think especially after last summer where Klopp went in with the same defence, essentially, after chasing Van Dijk all summer. I mean, fair play, he stuck to his man, but he left us short. And, and I think we paid the price for, for being short and it's, it's ruled us out of a title challenge. Um, so I think this summer, even if it's not his first choice, I'd like him to do something just to freshen things up a bit. I think it's just bringing in the players with the right mentality, the right character. Um, don't necessarily need to be the finished article, but someone that can progress and, you know, learn very quickly and improve this defence because I still don't think we're there yet. Right, you open absolutely colossal bag of worms there with that sucker shout. I can only imagine what the comment section of this podcast is going to be like. Um, no, I'm, I'm a big Sacco fan. <laughs> I'm not the a big Sacco fan. I'm not <laughs> a big Sacco fan at all. Neither am I. <laughs> But we're not going to open that can of worms because that's a can of worms that has been and done and Klopp's made the decision and it was the right one. Um, yeah, I agree with you on Joe Gomez. I don't think if you can't have a centre-back who can't judge the ball or his own positioning properly. A centre-back who makes so many mistakes that end up costing goals at right-back. You, 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 know, you just can't have a centre-back who is going to be in a situation where once every couple of games, he's going to completely misjudge a header and let someone have a free header inside the box. I mean, Lovren's not good, but at least he doesn't make those sorts of errors inside the box very often. Whereas with Gomez, he seems to be making them a lot. I'm not sure that necessarily just sticking him at centre-back is going to take that aspect of his game away. Um, what I would say on Lovren is that, if, is that if we don't need to sell him, he would not be a bad fourth choice to have about because, yeah, he's error-prone, but you know, a lot of your fourth-choice centre-backs at this level are going to make mistakes. You've just got to have the best you can get. 
it, so it all depends on value for me. Do you really want someone who's going to be stink, sitting up on the reserves of the 100k thing when you can make 30 million out of him? I guess that's the big question. I think it's not so much with Lovren. I think it's just a cost-benefit analysis at this stage. I think what are you going to get for keeping him versus what money is he going to be worth if you try and sell him? Because I don't think looking forward he should be an option as a first-choice player. Um, even now, I think Matip's miles ahead of him. I'm not sure Matip has to be managed that carefully, but clearly Klopp is being careful with Matip, which on the one hand makes sense, but on the other hand, if it means we end up with Lovren in games like the Man United game or the Man City games we've got coming up, then we're going to have a real issue. Um, I think when you look at Matip, the West Brom game is the one obvious example, but I think the West Brom game was an absolute abomination by a lot of players in this squad. And I don't think it's fair to look at one game and sort of say, because a lot of people use... The Man United game, for example, as a stick to beat players with. And I just think, well, people don't use games like the Man United game or the Swansea games as a stick to beat Salah or Firmino, who are generally good players. And there are a lot of players in this squad who are generally really good players. And I think Matip is, is one of them. I just, I just think it just kind of bugs me how people will use games as an excuse to hate on certain players, whereas there are certain players who, because they are better, not necessarily more consistent, but they have a higher ceiling, that those players kind of get a free pass. Which is fair enough. I mean, you know, they contribute a lot week in, week out. But there are other players who contribute quite a lot week in, week out who don't get the same free pass. So I just think it's a bit unfair, personally. Um, especially when you're looking at something like the West Brom game, which is such a clear abomination and such a clear outlier. Whereas something like what we've seen from Lovren, we can pick three or four examples. If we were going to sit down and talk about it, we could easily pick three or four examples of Lovren doing atrocious things that cost us goals just this season. It's really frustrating that he keeps doing that. Whereas at least with Matip, you have to think of realistically one game where you think, well, Matip had a stinker. I mean, admittedly, he wasn't great in the Spurs game either. But I mean, this is this is the thing for me about Matip. It's really hard to be a good central defender when you can't trust the lad next to you. And I've said this before, and I'll say this again. We won't see the best out of our team as a cohesive whole if we've got a player like Lovren in there who you just can't trust. thing is, that's, that's true, but you also have to identify and, and look at People like Van Dyke, who are still shining alongside Lovren, um, you know, making up for his mistakes. And I'm he's not, not saying though. I'm not trying to be funny, but he's not. He's made a lot of mistakes since he came to the club. Van Dyke, he's cost Van Dyke a has few goals because he's been in the same very, situations very as well. He still stood out as a very, very good player. And while, of course, Matip isn't at the same level as Van Dyke, and you're completely right in saying if you have an unreliable centre back pairing, it's going to sort of inhibit your performance yourself. But We've still seen from Van Dyke performances where he has done well, where he's ushered the back forward and he's led, um, you know, his crossfield balls. His overall game has still been impressive and still made you think, OK, this is a player who is going to be value for money. Whereas Matip doesn't really do that when he's alongside Lovren. And that's not to compare him and say he should be Van Dyke, because, as I said earlier, I don't think he's of the same quality at all. But it's just to highlight, actually, he's still error prone, not on the Dejan Lovren scale of things, but he's still... You know, he's not the answer. I don't, I don't think he's I don't think he's necessarily on Van Dyke's level. I, I, I agree with that. But I don't think Van Dyke is necessarily... I think I think Van Dyke's showing the same sort of symptoms as Matip has playing alongside Lovren, which is just that... I think, don't get me wrong, I think in terms of centre-back, Matip's way above Lovren and way below Van Dyke. But there's a, a vast amount of centre-backs in that scale. I think Matip's good enough uh, as, a, as, a, as a third choice. I mean, I don't disagree that we need to sign someone in the summer who's better than Matip. But I just, I just think it's not fair, necessarily fair on Matip to use Van Dyke as a comparison point, especially when Van Dyke has made a lot of mistakes since he joined the club, because positionally it's really, really hard when you've got someone like Lovren there who is a bit of an, who's a bit all over the place. He's very erratic. I just think it's so hard to get your positioning right as a back line when you've got someone who's as erratic as Lovren is, especially when your fullbacks are not, especially when you, your fullbacks are always going to be two yards too far up the pitch. That's a tactical thing. That's on Klopp. But when you've got a partner who you can't trust in a line with you, how the hell are you supposed to sort your positioning out? And I think Van Dyke's made a lot of positional errors since he joined the club as a result of that. And it's it, it's as much a confidence thing as anything else, isn't it? When you can't when you can't build a confidence, I mean, it's the same. It, it's part of the Carrier situation in the sense that since we've replaced Mignolet with Carriers, the defense has looked a lot more solid because the defense looks like it trusts its goalkeeper more. And I, that's why Carius is very being there has massively improved our defence. And I, I don't think it's simplistic enough to suggest it's just Van Dijk that's improved our defence. 
my my point here is just that when you've got a cohesive unit of individuals who you trust, it's always going to the individuals in that system are always going to look better. And I think it's maybe a bit harsh on Matip when he's been. I think he's a worse defender under pressure and when he's exposed than Van Dijk is. But I think he's a much better defender than he's going to be looking playing alongside um, Dejan Lovren. Um, Ash, we'll go back to you on this one. What are your thoughts on Ragnar Klavan? And do you think he should maybe step into the breach for a few games to replace Lovren between now and the end of the season? Because he's generally looked good when he's been paired with Matip. And do you see him as a decent option next season as a fourth choice, which just would mean it would be more worthwhile to sell Lovren? Yeah, I think I think Lovren should go just purely because of the wages he's on. If we're saying that okay, Lovren isn't the first choice, you know, uh, you know, he's not first eleven material, then I think he's on hundred k plus at the moment wages a week. We should definitely sell him just to free up the wage bill, even if it means bringing in a you know a cheaper replacement or someone that's on 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 less wages, and it just helps us to buy you know the quality players and offer them them more wages. Um, because I think, you know, the likes of Mignolet, Lovren, they're just on way too much money. You know, just uh, we're wasting money on mediocrity, really. Um, so I think Lovren, in my mind, Lovren should go. There's there's no two ways about it. Um, I think Clavin's been brilliant. You know, he was brilliant this season. But I think, you know, he's always going to be a third and fourth choice. So I say, you know, just keep him, keep him as third, fourth choice. Don't, you know, if it ain't broke, don't, fi- uh, don't fix it. Uh, but he certainly wouldn't come in, I think. I think your point was well made actually about Matip. I mean, he's not perfect, but I don't think at the same time, I don't think he's been given the full sample size of games alongside Van Dyke to say, okay, we definitely write him off. That's the thing. Um, I do have my doubts about him. I don't think he's as imposing as he should be, but I think again, it's being very clear about what his role is in the side and his role is the kind of player that breaks up the play and, you know, what he contributes to the team is offensive as well as defensive. You know, the way he helps the um, number six in the build-up, you know, playing out from the back, um, driving into midfield at times. You know, he goes on those galloping runs just just to break the lines, you know, and just help free up space upfield. Um, so I think, you know, yeah, definitely wouldn't give up on Matip. Debatable whether he's, you know, a starter or not. But again, that depends on who we can actually bring in. If we can't bring in an upgrade, then, you know, or, or if we can't bring in a significant upgrade on Matip, then, uh, you know, he should remain number one alongside Van Dyke. But for me, I think in the remaining games, there's enough games now. Just just give Matip a try. Let him build that relationship with Van Dyke. Um, you know, that's that's the relationship worth investing in. Clavan would only be a short-term fix, even if we were to bring him in. Um, I think he's better off, you know, under, you know, out of the um, pressure of the limelight, just just under, under the radar, come in when he has to do a job. So I'd keep him going into next season. Um, Persevere with Matip, and if Matip shows promising signs, you know, then uh, keep, you know, stick with him as number one going into next season. But at the same time, I still think we need to reinforce in that back line. So simply, I'll just get rid of Lovren and bring someone else in to challenge Matip. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think um, the the hard part is obviously I've I've talked about Matip quite a bit, and I've been kind of harsh as Tom says, but I would still stick with him. I think if if we're gonna try to build something with our current crop of players. He probably is the most likely. Uh, Clavan has done well when he's featured, but he is that bit older and he's not really a long-term fix. Whereas if Matip, if we can see from a bigger sample size, if there can be a development of some form of partnership between Matip and Van Dyke, then that's the way to go. And and if, if we try it and it fails, then we look to bring in someone else as well. Um, but yeah, I'm very much in agreement with you, Ash. I think there is an investment to be made in centre-backs. Um, Lovren clearly isn't consistent enough. Matip, we'll have to see how he gets on. Um, I don't think, sadly, that it's the last time we'll have seen Lovren play for Liverpool or even play this season. Um, I do think Klopp will continue to persist with him. Uh, maybe a little bit less so after that mistake against Manu, but but it's something that we'll probably still keep seeing for the rest of the season. Um, but we'll run off there and we'll move on to a lot more um, happier note which is Mo Salah. Um, so, Tom, you've written a really, really good article comparing Mo Salah to um, sort of the elite level of players. So not your um, Hazards or your Sanchez's. You're looking at Messi, Ronaldo, uh, Neymar, and obviously you've, you've taken it a little bit further to look at Kane and Lewandowski as well. So I'll let you um, introduce your article and talk us through 
Yeah, so I basically set out with, we know that Mo is the one of the best players in the Premier League this season. We know he's light years ahead of pretty much anyone else in his position in the Premier League this season. So I didn't see much of, I didn't see much point comparing him to like Hazard, Alexis Sanchez, Martial, uh, Sterling, Sane, because we know that in terms of goals, in terms of assists, in terms of end product, he's going to be light years ahead of them, which is just fair enough. So I thought it would be a more worthwhile comparison just to just sort of put his season into context, see how he stacks up against Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, um, the, the, the names I actually went with, I went in the end, I went with Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar. For me, they were the obvious ones because they're the sort of elite, sort of wide forward, best player in the world kind of types. Um, then I went with Dybala because I think he's the best player in that sort of attacking midfield, elite level position in uh, Serie A. And then I wanted to compare him to Kane because Kane's the obvious Premier League sort of goal scorer. And then Lewandowski because he's the top goal scorer in the Bundesliga as well. So I wanted to get like a sample of players who are considered a a they're all at least they're all forwards into some respect varying degrees they're all their primary goal is to put the ball in the back of the net to some or to support others in doing the same thing um because there's no point comparing someone like the Bruyne, someone like um you know david silver that kind of type players pogba because they're all deeper deeper midfielders so you're not going to get the same level of statistical comparison but I also wanted to compare him to players that, you know, instantly you think best player in their in their league, etc. Or, you know, among the best players in their league. Uh, and I wanted to get a different sort of range of attackers because a lot of people think Mo's a striker. So I've included a couple of the best strikers in there. I've included Messi, who a lot of people think is a more direct comparison. Ronaldo again. So I did look at some of the product in terms of goals, assists, key passes, dribbling. Um, so if you look specifically at goals... Um, in terms of goals scored per 90 minutes, goal per minute ratio, um, only Lewandowski of that of those seven has a higher rate than Mo. Mo scores over a goal a game. Uh, only Lewandowski scores more than that. Kane was the lowest on that list with 0.88. So they're all uh, they're all around between 0.9 goals per minute, goals per 90 and one goal per 90. So a lot of players are around one goal per 90 minutes, but just below that. And Mo's obviously just above that. In terms of goals and assists per 90, which is obviously the big one, it's your end products. Only Neymar had a better goals and assists. Neymar has 32 goals and assists this season. Mo's got 37, but Neymar's played a lot less minutes. So Neymar's on 1.61 goals and assists per 90, which is just insane. Mo's on 1.39. Here for me was the most salient comparison. So far this season, Mo Salah has got 28 goals and 9 assists. So 37 goals and assists. Messi has 25 goals, 12 assists, 37 goals and assists. Mo's done it in marginally less time. And Mo's got 1.39 goals and assists per 90. Lionel Messi has 1.35 goals and assists per 90. So basically, if you're looking at end product, if you're looking at ball in the back of the end kind of stuff, Mo is pretty much the the hot pro- hot product in Europe this season, which for me is just sensational. Um, it just kind of underlines that. The fact that he scored 28 goals in the league is just, you know, that's, that, that stat, 28 league goals, these are all, all the stats, sorry, I was looking at are specifically in domestic leagues. So it's Serie A, uh, La Liga, Bundesliga, Liga and uh, Premier League. But Mo is the top goal scorer in Europe and he deserves to be. Um, so I had a look at the underlying stats as well. So expected goals, etc. Um, Salah's expected goals is 21.14. So he's seven above that, which means his expected goals, his goals to expected goals ratio is 1.32, which means he's, he's not, not quite, but he is, he is overperforming and it's statistically significant. His overperformance on that goals on his XG. But that said, over, even if he wasn't overperforming, he would still be scoring 23, 24 goals based on sort of what you would expect from an elite level striker. So he's only, you know, realistically if you take the Watford performance out of the equation he's pretty much where that's pretty much what his level will be which is still exceptional still you know pretty much level with the likes of Kane Lewandowski um Messi has an XG of 23 as I say to score 25 so his is 1.1 basically goals per expected goal um Neymar 1.15 Kane Kane and Lewandowski which I think is really interesting Kane and Lewandowski are both pretty much bang on goals to expected goals so I had a look. As I say, most of the players in this bracket, they are between, they are about 
one goal per expected goals. So they're pretty much on a level, which is interesting because the ratio across the top five European leagues is just below one goal per expected goals. So Mo is significantly overperforming, but I had a look at his numbers at Roma and his numbers at Roma were 1.27. So 1.27 goals per expected goal anyway. So even if he drops back to the level that you might say he's been on for a few seasons now, that would still leave him like that's that's one goal realistically. So he'd be on 27 goals rather than 28. So realistically, Mo is not fluking it. He's not like banging in goals from everywhere. Dybala, for example, I think Dybala is the interesting one here. Dybala scored 17 goals from just over 10 expected goals. That is overperformance. That is that you could expect a regression to the mean there because that's just not sustainable levels of goal scoring from Dybala. Um, but what, so yeah, I just think it's interesting that with Mo, you're seeing a really interesting statistical package, which suggests a very complete statistical package. He's pretty much bang up there. I mean, uh, in terms of the top five European leagues, he's got the second highest XG in the Premier League. So in terms of getting himself in positions to score goals, only Kane gets only Kane gets himself in better positions to score goals than Mo. And then if you look at in Europe, only Kane, Lewandowski, Messi and Ronaldo have got higher XGs. So they're the only ones who are getting you know, consistently better chances to score goals. Um, so um, in terms of getting himself in positions, so in terms of positioning, in terms of goal scoring, in terms of finishing, you're looking at Mo as an elite level player and belonging in this sort of category. So if I, given the players that I've picked, he's stacking up statistically. Uh, I looked at his all-round sort of play. Um, so you're looking at key passes, dribbles, and I won't bore you with the numbers, but the the sort of the uh, um, the package that emerges here is that Kane and Lewandowski are nowhere near the others in terms of got in terms of creativity and in terms of dribbling, which you would expect because they are actually out and out strikers. The types of players they are, they are on the pitch to score goals. They don't really do much else. Um, then you've got a sort of second tier, which is Dybala, Ronaldo, Salah. Uh, Salah's the best of those three in terms of dribbling and creativity those and they're sort of middle levels so they're sort of what you would expect in terms of creativity and in terms of dribbling from top level players so they're the sort of things and unless you're talking elite level numbers though that's pretty much what you'd expect from a sort of attacking wide forward kind of player so their primary goal is to both score and create and then Messi and Neymar were in just a category of their own there's no point even trying to compare uh Mo's overall gameplay with Messi and Neymar because Messi and Neymar are just on a different planet in terms of creativity, in terms of dribbling, in terms of general play. Which, I mean, I kind of expected going in. I thought Mo would stack up in terms of goals and in terms of end product, but I didn't think he'd stack up overall. Messi's dribbling is like... Look at it this way. Messi dribbles twice as much as Salah does. And in terms of creativity, his XA is nearly twice as high as well. So he creates... Messi creates nearly one. In terms of expected assists, Messi's is 0.48. That's almost one. That's almost one every two games. That's absolutely insane levels of creativity. Um, so it just shows that Mo is a player who I think the underlying point of the article is that it's not unfair to compare Mo to these players. I think anyone who's saying Mo is in a, is in the sort of the league of top five in the world, the numbers back that up. Um, he's not as good as Messi or Neymar. That's fine. Um, but he's pretty much better than everyone else. Um, in terms of end product, there isn't really anyone in the same category as him. Um, Neymar is the only one, as I say, who beats him in terms of goals and assists per 90. But that's really, I mean, how much of that is down to Neymar playing in the French League? If we're being completely honest, it's quite hard to gauge those numbers. I, I didn't have the time to do a full body over more years. So it is a, you know, it is just this year and it is just seven players. But I think the kind of underlying point of the article is that if you want to try and compare Mo to elite level players, you can. Basically, he's he's good enough that he deserves his pedestal as one of the top attackers in Europe right now. Yeah, and it actually speaks volumes, doesn't it, about how we're able to even compare him in the same bracket as these type of players. I mean, as as Tom said there, if you're looking at the all-round play stats. So the creativity and the dribbling, he's above Cristiano Ronaldo, which, you know, if you take a minute to actually think about that, that's 
illustration of just how good Mo Salah has been this season and how much he's progressed since his Chelsea days and, and in a harder league as well than Ronaldo. So what what have you made of him and what do you make of Tom's obvious, really in-depth research here? Because it is just a perfect illustration of the impact Salah's having and, and just how well he's performing this season. Absolutely, Leanne. Yeah, I think Tom's piece was really good. You know, really excellent piece just emphasises just what an impact Salah's made this season. You know, it's been phenomenal. Uh, you know, that's the best way to describe his performance this season. Um, I think that the really nice thing, the really encouraging thing for all us Liverpool fans is the fact that it doesn't feel like it's a massive overperformance, as Tom said. You know, this is just a translation of um, some of the qualities that he was showing at Roma uh, and just, just in Italy generally. Um after his move from Chelsea. And I think, you know, what's what we're seeing now is a top player, you know, that's finding his role in the team, um, knows his place and his role. Um, it's his first season, let's not forget. So um, the fact that it's not an, an overachievement suggests that, you know, we're, we're going to really benefit. And he, as he improves as a player, we're going to see much more benefit from him going forward. Um, I think the point on Neymar's well made. I think the French league is, you know, you, you can't compare I mean, Neymar's a great player, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I wasn't a big fan of his um, up until really last season. I think the arrival of Suarez at Barcelona last uh, a couple of years ago really helped Neymar, you know, just because it's a bit like us with our Fab Three, you know. You've got Messi, Neymar, Suarez. You've got two quality guys alongside you. No doubt you will shine and your, your game will improve as well. So I think Neymar's had started to really pushing to serious world-class levels, you know, uh, these last couple of years. But I think certainly his stats is certainly, you know, over uh, overstated, you know, just because of the weakness of the French league. Messi's in a class of his own, you know, he's been doing this for years now. He's well-defined in his role at Barcelona. He knows his place in the side, you know, this free-roll expert shooter, you know, from range, from outside the box, you know. So his game is very much geared around running, breaking the lines, dribbling past people and then just, you know, getting explosive shots away. Mo Salah is a bit different. Um, you know, he's, he's a, you know, your quintessential wing forward or your modern day wing forward, I would say, you know, where he, he's a great out ball, you know, when you're building up from the back, you know, you play it out wide and then he drifts inside at pace or he links up with the other players. Um, but the biggest thing for me, it's not so much what he does in terms of his dribbling. That Mo Salah's real quality this season that I've noticed watching him play for Liverpool is just, the way he's able to manipulate space, his movement is just absolutely world class. You know, um, just a couple of examples that spring to mind. Um, the preseason game against Leicester, I think we won it 2-1, where he kind of played a ball to Coutinho. Coutinho chips it over the defence yeah, and then yeah. Salah ran onto it and headed it in. A lot of players would have just played the ball and probably stood still or looked for a cross, but he kept moving. You know, he almost... He, he kind of made Coutinho's mind up for Coutinho just by the movement he he did. Um, the other one was the Leicester goal. I mean, there's many more examples, but the Leicester goal was an, another one, you know, where he um, drifted in at the back post, totally unaware. You know, the defence was totally unaware and it was just right place, right time. So I think what we've, with Mo Salah, what we've got, we're very lucky because we've got brilliant, a guy with brilliant movement that can just, you know, run into the space, catch defenders off guard and just get a poacher's goal good example of that actually was the Watford goal where uh, Robertson's brilliant cross and then Mo Salah just had an easy tap in, you know, but that was all about the movement to make the, the finish look so easy. But also, you know, you look at the goal he scored against Tottenham and he can dribble, you know, in those tight spaces. What I really love about him is that the ability to just accelerate, stop and then go again at high speed. It's just unbelievable balance and poise, you know, and that, I think that Tottenham goal is, you know, perfect example of that. So, I think he's just such a such a versatile player, really. I mean, he's quite. You could say he's kind of restricted in what he does for this team. You know, you don't when you look at the um, passing networks after the game, you don't see a huge amount of on the ball contribution from him. But um, he more than makes up for that in terms of his use of space, as I say, and just the general movement, which just constantly pulls defenders out of position and just gives makes room for the likes of Mane for our midfielders rushing into the box. Um, for Bobby Firmino as well, who's also very good at creating space for others. So I think what was just, you know, is it's just great to see the, the kind of dynamic between him and his um, strike partners and also with the rest of the team as well. And I think if we can get that right back position sorted once and for all longer term 
and help him, you know, just help him build up a relationship with the uh, the right back as well. Because we chopped and changed with um, with Gomez and Trent this season. So there hasn't been that continuity, but I think you know where whether it's Klein or whoever takes the number one position, or whether Klopp goes for horses or courses approach. You know, we're going we're going to see next season, but um, I think he'd also benefit from a bit of stability in that that position of the field, and then it just helps him build up his relationships better. Um, I think it's really exciting going forward because um, we're going to upgrade the midfield this summer. You know, Cater's coming in. Um, Emery Chan's probably leaving, so that gives us room to find, you know, another type of playmaker, if you like. Um, so it's quite exciting, you know, going forward. And uh, as Tom said, I think Mo Salah is doing just fine right now, you know, and I still think the best is yet to come as we upgrade this side. Yeah, I think one one thing I think I want to jump on that you said that I thought was really, really good was um, you said Salah doesn't really contribute much on the ball in the build-up play, and the stats back that up. If you look at his XG build, an XG build is just the number of expected goals a player's involved in where he isn't either scoring or assisting them. So it's just a sort of general play he creates. And he's got the lowest XG build of anyone in our squad apart from um, Mignolet. He's got a lower XG build than Carrius, which means that in terms of chances created, Mo is either scoring Mo's either on the end of them so Mo's either having the shots or scoring the goals or he's playing the pass it's quite rare that Mo will get involved in the build-up but then not get involved on the end product of it so it, it that, that for me says it all about his sort of style of play he's not the sort of player who will drop deep to get more involved in the play he'll be more involved at the at the final end which for me is as I say is very very telling about the way he plays his game because clearly he's very creative so it's not not the case that he's not creative because he's got the second highest expected assists of anyone who plays regularly in, a, in our side right now behind Bobby, not including Coutinho because he's gone and then not including Markovic and Solanke. So he's got the second highest XA, but his his build, his in terms of passes before the, the final pass, is really, really low, which me just says it all. It just shows that Mo wants to be in situations where he's influencing the game. He doesn't want to pass the second passing. He wants to be at the end of the chances. And... um. Possibly, but it's possible that he creates a lot of, he ends up on the end of a lot of chance moves that he starts, but it's quite rare that you'll see him sort of, he's not a Bobby Firmino type. I mean, Firmino's XG build is, is 0.39, which is much higher than Salah's and kind of middling for our squad. I mean, you expect the, the XG build to be higher amongst your midfielders because they're not going to be on the end of as many chances, they're not going to be creating as many chances as your, your attackers. But, um, but Bobby Firmino's is quite high. It's higher than, someone like Joe Gomez, for example, or Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, whereas Sass is really low. So I think that's a very sort of a differential, differential in terms of the player type. But I think it's very, very telling as a result. But I mean, I mean, Salah's expected goals is, is huge. Over, to get over 20 expected goals at this stage of the season is massive. And I think that for me is the really, really important thing. It just shows that Salah's positioning is one of his best attributes. And I've been saying, I don't understand why anybody doesn't think he's got a really, intelligent football brain because he seems to anticipate where the chance is going to go and I, I clock that's I think his his first goal for Liverpool is one of my favourites it's against Watford and it's a tap in from a yard out because Bobby lobs the keeper and Salah just runs onto it and sticks it in because he knows where the ball's going to be he sniffs that goal out way before anyone else does he's in the position to, to knock the ball in from a yard and that's the sort of player that I really really like someone who is capable of doing everything. He's exceptionally quick. He's a brilliant finisher. I mean, I, I, they did point on under pressure a while back that he's, he's scored more goals from low XG chances than anyone else in the Premier League. And yet he still ends up scoring a lot of high percentage chances, which me just says it all about his game. He's the sort of player who consistently gets himself in positions to score goals and yet has one of the highest XG uh, goals to expected goals ratios in the league. I had a look at it. There were only two players who have scored 10 goals this season in the Premier League that have a have a better goal to expect goals ratio. Funnily enough, one of them is Bobby Firmino. Bobby's got the second best ratio in the league for um, goals to expected goals, which just kind of disproves anyone who doesn't think Bobby could finish. And the other one is Mares, who obviously scores a lot of bellers. So yeah, um, it for me it's really really interesting that Salah has those two sides to his game that he's getting himself lots and lots of chances, but he's scoring lots and lots of goals because he's also right now an elite level finisher. That is what he's bringing to the table. He's bringing finishing 
as well as pace, as well as positional play, as well as creativity. I mean, his creativity is really strong as well. That is one element of his game that is is really good. He's got more assists than anyone else in our side, and only Bobby's got only Bobby's got higher expected assists. So he's he's delivering at that end of the table too. I mean, I mentioned as I say, I said his creativity was um was not quite Messi levels, but if you take out Messi and Neymar, his creativity is bang up there in terms of those elite level players. And in terms of the Premier League, I haven't, as I say, I haven't done a wider analysis of of the Premier League. But if you look at Premier League forwards, there aren't many on there who are more creative than him. I mean, if you're looking at if, if you're looking in terms of Premier League creativity. You're looking at De Bruyne, you're looking at Ericsson, you're looking at um, Ozil. De Bruyne, Ericsson, Ozil, those are the three. And they are out-and-out creative midfielders. Their job is to be creative. If you're looking at wingers, if you're looking at forwards, realistically, you're looking at Bobby, obviously, who I've already said, and then Sané and Sterling are the only other two that sort of compare creatively to him. So you are really looking at a player who is a multifaceted player that is delivering on a lot of different levels at the highest level right now. He's not just a one-trick pony. He's not just putting the ball in the back of the net. He's got so many sides to his game, and that's what makes him, for me at least, genuinely exciting. Yeah, and I'd agree. And I I think the the key part of that is his movement. Um, It is getting in in those right positions and being able to know what to do in those positions. We were talking earlier about decision-making. And he has that, you know, world-class decision-making. He knows when to do what and, we saw against Watford, he took out three players with a little um, change of feet um, inside the box. And then he, he manages to fall over before he prods the ball in, which for me was just the perfect way to cap off what was the, another brilliant individual performance. Ash, anything else you want to add about you know how, how brilliant Mo Salah is? What do you think he can get in terms of his, his tally for the overall season? I think I'd like to see him get um, 30 plus league goals, which he looks on course to do, Leanne. Um, that would be great, great start to his uh, Liverpool career. Um, but now, just going back to what Tom was saying about Salah, you know, I think um, what we're seeing, he's just so comfortable in front of goal now. I mean, he still misses a lot of chances, but uh, the fact that he's getting in the positions is very encouraging. And when you look at the variety of goals he scores, I think that's what's really encouraging. I think in, in the kind of system that we play with the false nine, He's doing exactly what you would expect one of the wide forwards to be doing. So um, Bobby's not kind of the the finisher necessarily, or doesn't need to be the finisher as the false nine. And I think this is something that's often misunderstood. The, the false nine drifts, you know, deeper or wide, whatever, uh, t- to enable the wing forwards to get into the box and score the goals. And I think what's really encouraging is um, just the way, again, come back to the way they complement each other. You know, you've got Bobby dropping deep. And he can press and, you know, recycle the ball. Then you've got Mane, who not, not only can he score goals, but he tends to be the provider. You know, he can provide crosses, add the width, you know, the proper width to our play, uh, whereas Salah tends to drift inside a lot. And then you've got Salah, who's just a pure finisher. And, you know, he's shown the instincts. Although he's a wide forward, he's actually shown us the instincts of a proper centre forward. And I think that's what's so encouraging, because that's what you need him to do, because... Bobby's now chipping in with goals as well. Mane's always a threat, you know, a goal threat. Um, he's been overshadowed somewhat by Salah, but I think you're just seeing that Salah's a better player, so naturally a lot more goes through him. Um, but no, it bodes really well, and I think what what we we still struggle with is the park bus, and we've spoken about this many times. But I think the exciting thing for me is once, if you know, we'll get Cater, who's brilliant at breaking the lines and teeing up the players, you know, creating chances, slipping in through balls. And with Salah's movement, you know, um, just just the way he can get past a defender, anticipate a ball and get on the end and finish it, you know, I think it's really exciting for next season. And then if we get someone like Jorginho, which, we, you know, we, he's been mooted to come to the squad, you've got someone that just picks early balls forward and is comfortable playing in tight spaces and can get himself out of danger and then just, just launch a dangerous pass. I think just just really, really encouraging for next season, you know, just... Um, the mouth waters are what what can be achieved, um, and and even if Salah doesn't score as many goals next season, I think if he can spread his goals out, I mean he doesn't tend to score goals in bunches anyway. He tends to score regularly, you know, kind of every game, almost every game. Um, I think if he can just take that forward next season, even if he doesn't score as many, but um, I think you know he'll he'll hopefully be getting better service as well from the midfield, 
and I think he'll be, that will only make him more of a threat. So yeah, really, really exciting times moving forward. You know, we've got one hell of a player on our hands, and uh, you know, fair play to the to the guys that spotted him in the summer because, you know, let's face it, nobody else did, and um, you know, his stats suggested that this was a top player. If you put him amongst, amongst, you know, very good players and, uh, we're seeing exactly that. So yeah, long may it continue really. One quick one, Zara. Since the Spurs game, Salah has only failed to score in four league games. Oh, sorry, five league games. I'm looking at it. So he's only, okay. He's only failed to net a goal or assist in three games since that Spurs game, three Premier League games since that Spurs game. They are the West Brom 0-0, the Swansea 1-0 and the Man United 2-1. So there's a, there's a very, very clear, piece of evidence there that suggests that the only games in which Salah doesn't score are games in which we don't score or, or you know or assist so yeah his his levels of output since that Spurs game since the Maribor game before it realistically have just been absolutely insane um, but I agree with you he's, he doesn't need to score as many next season as long as he's contributing as regularly as he has been this season which obviously sounds like a bit of a Missed over, but there's lots and lots of games here where he scored once or he scored twice. Yeah. If he's, you know, if he's getting assists in those games, if he, you know, if he, if there are, there are, you know, there are what, there are four or five games on here where he scored twice. If he scores one assists, one or you know, just gets two assists, the team are scoring the goals. Like it's, it's very telling that, you know, as long as Salah's contributing at the final end of the pitch, Liverpool are going to do well. Um, and I mean, realistically, he, he is. It's, it's strange. I talked a little bit about in the pro, in the article his profile and how he's not playing as a striker because he isn't. He's not playing as a striker, but his output is is that of a striker, and that's what I mean when I say the only people we can, the only person people we can compare him to in terms of the output are Messi and Ronaldo because there are plenty of strikers who are dropping similarish levels of goal profiles. I mean, as I said, Lewandowski scores more goals per ninety than he does, so that's you know that's Lewandowski, but you know, in terms of goals and assists, in terms of his general output, he is on the level of a striker. So if you look at wingers, the only wingers you can compare him to in terms of goal output, even close, are Messi and Ronaldo. And it, that's if you were, that's if, you know, if you say Messi and Ronaldo, wingers, wide forwards, you know what I mean? Players who don't start as strikers. Players who don't start in that central, furthest, you know, highest line of defence. So it really is fascinating to me how Mo Salah's game is working. And I think, I, I mean, we haven't talked about him that much in the side of the world, but so much of that is down to Bobby Firmino because of the way Firmino plays. But a lot of it is also just down to Salah having the raw attributes because he can take on defenders. And I, I know he's been compared to Robin in the past in terms of the way he cuts in on that left foot to score goals. That's a good comparison. But I think the fact is he does, he's unpredictable. He can do the sort of the Robin element of pick the ball up wide, beat a player, cut inside, score. He can also do that. He can also do the sort of the cane thing where he sort of hangs about in the right areas in the middle of the box to score goals. He can score from range. He can, he's got the, if we break fast, he can run in behind. So he can, so he has spent a lot of this season ending up centrally when the ball's going in the back of the net, but he's still playing like a winger. He's just playing like a winger with a lot of freedom. And that is, for me, why you can compare him to someone like Messi in the sense that that is the sort of thing you expect Messi to do. You expect Messi, you expect Messi to maybe start start on the right and play a lot of his game on the right. But when when the ball is in areas where it matters, he's got that license to basically do whatever he wants to get in the position to make the team score goals. And that's not just uh, it's a, a lot about movement, but it's also about a lot intelli- a lot about intelligence. And as I've said, I think Mo has shown he's exceptionally gifted at finding the right spot to be in the place to, to be on the back of the to be on the at the end of move to be in the position where he's going to be sticking that ball in the back of the net or where he's creating space for others to do this um obviously the creating space element is a lot more of what someone like bobby will do but mo's still very good at it because defenders don't quite know how to deal with his pace and i think uh it was um i was on the pod the other day and uh Tadiwa said he said um you know, if you, uh, the Watford post-match pod, if you use two players to mark Mo Salah, suddenly Bobby Firmino's got a free space or suddenly Sadio Mane's got a free player. So even if play teams do find a way to double up on Salah, which, to be blunt, they haven't done this season even remotely effectively enough, then that's going to leave us a free spot for someone else. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're all in agreement, and I think it's as I said earlier, it speaks volumes of the fact that we're able to talk about Salah in in terms of the bracket of your Messi's, your Neymar's, and I saw someone on Twitter say. You're, you Liverpool fans are outrageous for comparing him to Lionel Messi, but actually we're not. And the stats that you produced, Tom, back that up. It, it really shows just what he's doing at Liverpool and the impact he's having in a in a very league, I might add, because some of these players, as we touched on earlier, aren't actually doing it in great leagues either, um, which doesn't take away from their brilliance, but it just sort of adds to the fact that Mo Salah's doing it in a, in you know not easy circumstances where he's playing some you know Sunday league team. Um, but yeah, if there's anything else anyone wants to add, feel free. Um, otherwise, I'll wrap up on the note that uh, Dejan Lovren probably shouldn't be playing for Liverpool and Mo Salah absolutely should. And we want him to stay forever. Um, <laughs> uh, I will, sorry, I will just no, say on I will just say on the Salah Messi comparison, I don't think Mo's on that level. And the reason I don't think Mo's on that level is A, his profile as a collective whole doesn't map up. There are a lot of players who score somewhere close to as many goals as Messi, especially now that Messi's in the twilight of his career. That doesn't mean they're comparable. Um, but I, And it, his statistical profile does not match up to Messi's in any way, shape or form. If you look at it as a collective whole, it, the only element of his game in which right now he's matching Messi is in terms of goals. And to that respect, I do think it is comparable in the sense that he his style is very Messi-esque, the way he cuts in on that left foot. Um, his his very best is not at Messi's best, and in terms of overall, he doesn't stack up to Messi. But I do think the the point here is that you can compare them in terms of end product, and you can compare them. the fact that you can make the comparison, not say he's anywhere near as good, but can make the comparison as as has been said, says a lot about where Mo's at as a player. Yeah, definitely agree with that, and I think you know they they operate in different zones of the pitch as well. So with Messi, kind of looks for kind of deeper positions where he can drive forward with the ball and play these quick one-twos and then drift into the box, whereas Mo tends to stick out on the right and then drifts and roams, you know, in that general area. But I think, as you said, Tom, I think uh, what we're seeing with Salah, not not only is he a great goal scorer, but he's a great footballer. And you'd rather that than just say like a Harry Kane or a Lewandowski, who, you know, they're, they're not bad footballers, but predominantly their game is based around scoring goals. But Mo can do a bit of everything. And I think that versatility just epitomises what Klopp's system's all about, you know. And I think when we talk about, you know, we've spoken about the midfield and how we don't have the most creative midfield. Just imagine what we're going to do once we do have some more creativity in there. You know, I think, um, you know, sky's really the limit with this guy. And, uh, you know, Messi's been operating at that level for, for quite, you know, quite a few years now. Uh, but most of life, he, you know, if we can keep him at this club, continue to improve this team, then, uh, you know, he will start to push, I'm sure into that kind of messy territory once he's uh, more established in the side and uh, he's got better players around him. I mean, let's not forget, Messi has top-class players all around him. You know, um, I don't think we can yet say that about Liverpool, although things are improving on that front. So, um, yeah, sky is the limit, really, for this guy. And, you know, hopefully, uh, we, you know, he does it and continues to do so for many more years to come. OK. So we'll wrap up there. Um, Ash, have you got anything you want to plug? Nothing to plug at the moment, Leanne. I'll be writing uh, and putting something out next week, just doing a bit of a stats piece, just comparing Man City and Liverpool's attacks. So that's quite interesting. I've not yeah. uh, started that properly yet, but I'm going to be taking a look at, you know, how can Liverpool, you know, what can we learn from Man City? Well, Man City is setting elite levels, you know, finest Premiership or Premier League side, uh, the way things are going. So that's the level that we've got to aim for. Um, so it'd be quite interesting to see what I can deduce from that information. Yeah, that will be interesting because I've always said and maintained the view that we've effectively got the second best attack in the league. And that was before Salah came along and sort of has done what he's done. So um, obviously things have changed with Coutinho leaving, but it would be really interesting to see a comparison between the two. Um, and there's such free fluid attacks, which is why this Champions League game is going to be so positive and entertaining to watch um tom anything from you um yep i've got the salad article out, obviously i've got a couple more out at the moment one is comparing um one is having a look at some of the previous games we've played against city over the last five years to kind of see how that rivalry has sort of developed and actually when i actually looked at it, there was a lot more than i remembered and i was like christ we are actually uh, since the 2012 cup 
semi-final which had a lot of, lot of really good games against City the other thing is I just haven't just got a one out for EPL index where I'm just sort of having a low overall look at the top four race and who I think is going to make it and who I think won't over the next couple of days I've got one out tomorrow hopefully not 100% sure yet but that's going to be on Bobby Firmino I wanted to have a statistical look at him as well maybe not it's not going to be quite on the same uh, set along the same lines as this Salomon but it's going to be very, very interesting to have a look at him maybe do a comparison with some of the other Premier League strikers. So maybe, but I think it's tough because when you try and compare him with someone like Lukaku, Morata, Lacazette, a lot of people will use his defensive stats or his creativity stats as sort of reasons he's better. Whereas I just think it's reasons that it's just, he's playing a different role. Uh, and then I've got what I'm going to have write one in the next week or so about Emre Chan because people are talking nonsense about him again and it really annoys me. So, um, so you're yeah. busy. <laughs> I'll be busy. Yeah. <laughs> No, they all sound uh, like really interesting pieces. And if you haven't checked out the Salah article that we've been talking about today, definitely do so because a lot of effort has been put into sort of getting those stats and stuff. And it really does justice to how good most Salah's been this season. Um, from my point of view, I've got an article that should be out in the coming days about um, our front three. So looking at, I saw a couple of things on Twitter about how three years ago we had Lambert, Barini and um, Mario Balotelli. So just a little comparison about that. Um, which is quite funny. Um, and I was also looking at Stephen Gerrard made a couple of comments. I think it was in February about the comparison between this year's attack and Suarez and Sturridge. So just looking at that and are they comparable? Uh, but that should be out in the coming days. And yeah, just thanks for listening. Thank you, Ash, for coming on. Um, and please keep on listening. We'll be back next week. Network.